They say the world can be hard, cruel, and ugly. Trust me, it gets worse if you're hungry and thirst. Doesn't push you from position, last place to first. Can't build a foundation without having feet in the dirt. So I put in the work, grind harder than most. I don't chase accolades of the living, I'm facing a ghost. That's what makes me the GOAT. Depending on who you ask, my brother, whatever task, got it covered like a mask. Guaranteed they can't see me at the open run. Cause I cook competitors until they look well done. Don't act like you don't know where I hail from. I had to climb up out the trenches, sit on benches till my time had come. Don't be mad at the player, be mad at the game. Sneak this in the hating, that's a flag on the play. Me falling off, huh? That'll be the day I'm like, bolt in the race, leave the track, flambe, it's the open run. The best way to get on your feet is to get off your ass. An ancient Strickland household proverb, no doubt spout by my dear old dad, bless the dead, and welcome to the open run with Will Strickland, if that would be me. I can be found across these rough interweb streets at W underscore Strickland and the number one on Twitter, Will Strickland and the number one on IG, and across all streaming platforms where you can find podcasts. So to get back into the words of my dear old dad and the fact that this is February, the shortest month of the year and designated as Black History Month, what made me get off my ass in life to do the things that I've done to make sure I stayed on my feet? The answer might lie in the Black People's Manual, page 19, article 8, subsection C, which states, well, You have to look it up because I'm not supposed to share all of the information from the manual. But if you have access, make sure you check it out. At any rate, how do you overcome the idea, the notion that you have to be twice as good to get half as much? Where, according to a podcast I was just listening to from a buddy of mine, Bomani Jones, The Right Time with Bomani Jones on ESPN. He was interviewing Howard Bryant, a writer there at ESPN as well who had written a book about Henry Aaron, talking about the great Hank Aaron and his passing, about all the things he had to do, things that he was put through, how he was perceived, and the reality of his life. And this perception and reality when it comes to how people examine black people and achieving on the highest stages, with the highest visibility, there must be something to it outside of the hard work and the dedication to the craft. And Bo asked the question, you know, like, or he said that, look, there's no way we can perform our way out of this concept. No no way we can f- perform out of the perception that has become conditioning for a lot of people. So what is meritocracy? Like, what's it worth? Is it about priorities? Like, are, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to achieve by doing this? Is it getting the best person for the job? Winning, whether we're talking about NFL coaches or, or in this case, NBA coaches, Black coaches, we talked about this on another um, show, I think probably the first podcast that I did for the open run, where generally black coaches get the rebuild. But I looked back at history a little bit and noticed that there probably have been two black head coaches that got like the Phil Jackson. The Phil Jackson is basically you come in, you get the best player in the league, you know, after Doug Collins did do it in, in Chicago, he got Scottie Pippen and Michael Jeffrey Jordan. And Chicago then moves on after he wins six there. And, of course, the Lakers, they have the highest visibility franchise in the league. They got Shaq and Kobe. They win three more. Got it. Other than someone like Bill Russell, who was a player coach, he had to be a part of the team that had just won eight championships. So he became the first black head coach. And then 
you look at maybe, you could say maybe Glenn Rivers in Boston when he got Paul Pierce and then he got Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen. But they were at the end of their career. So it's a little bit different. You can even say right now, Tyron Lu, who has the Clippers playing an amazing rate. And we'll talk about them in a second. But you have to be twice as good to get half as much. What does meritocracy mean? A person who is easily one of the best to ever do it, if not the best. Hashtag he who shan't be named made a trip home with his merry band of Lakers, the defending and reigning world champions of the National Basketball Association to Cleveland, where they play in the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. Used to be called the Quicken Loans Arena, but much like Stringer Bell with that stepped on shit from The Wire. And I can apply anything in life to The Wire, I guess. But they changed the name. Okay, Still the same arena, still the same people. And there was a fan in the socially distanced, I guess, seating in the arena. There was a man who was forcibly ejected from the building for holding up and wearing and or wearing T-shirts that said like LeBron's a racist, LeBron's a narcissist. I I know I get the swear jar, but I'm quoting right here. So I'm not the hashtag was not on the front of the shirt. They called him something utilizing his name and, you know, relating it to fellatio. Uh, One of the shirts had some reference to his mother and a former teammate of his, uh, possibly having some sort of physical interactions um, sexually. And, you know, with all these T-shirts and he's going through wardrobe changes like he was Rihanna or Beyonce on stage or something. If he was wearing them, I don't know if he's wearing them. that part I threw in there. But I mean, who comes to a game with multiple shirts? I mean, you have a bunch of signs. I guess it's the same thing. So whatever. Anyway. He was forcibly ejected from the building. And during the course of his ejection, he fought with the cops. He hit one male cop, hit another female cop. And guess what happened? They let him go home. They let him go home. I might say wow to this, but to be clear, if I didn't, or if I did rather, it wouldn't be about what he said with his shirts because that is his right, no matter how misguided or or delusional he might be, to express his opinion, that is his right. I will fight for his right to say that and say whatever he wants to say, even if it's not respectful. Now, if this were to elicit a response, a wow for me, more than likely would be about what he was able to do while being escorted out and the consequence of his actions until I realized that that is the natural order of things, according to some. Hold up. The doorbell just rang. Oh, that was privilege. My bad. You rang. Anyway, they beat the Cavs and that extended their longest road winning streak or as we like to say on the fine program, we like to call the open run losing strike to 10 straight games. They hadn't lost a road game all year. We're uneven at home. Go on to play, play the Sixers after that. But before I leave Cleveland, I want to shout out John Blair Bickerstaff and the job he's doing there with the 80s Cavaliers. Yes. They look like a team from the 80s. They have a bunch of bigs on the front line. They really, really tested the Lakers. All these bigs, Andre Drummond, JaVale McGee, Jared Allen. They have these speedy guards around them. Colin Sexton is making a a case for most improved player in the league, Darius Garland. They just play a different way. And I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged by what J.B. Bickerstaff is doing there in Cleveland with that team. I don't know if they're going to trade one of those frontline guys, but they are scary big up front and they figured out how to play in that way. And so they move on to play the Sixers and in what many people call the finals preview, 
the Sixers pulled it out, last second shot by Tobias Harris. Great game. Uh, the Sixers almost choked off a lead that they had going into the fourth quarter. The Lakers feel like they can turn it on at any time. They finally had that streak broken. There are a couple of flagrant fouls in the game that were of note. One in particular where he who shan't be named, not the Colonel's son, Joel Embiid, out of the air on a dunk attempt. You know, Embiid rolled around on the floor. You got to sell a little bit. He was fine right after that. And what he said after the game was really profound. He said, LeBron didn't get ejected from the game, but if it were me, I would have been. And he's absolutely right. He who shan't be named. He was not ejected. Finals matchup. I have to admit, some of my early hand-wringing about the Sixers was overcome by a big comeback win against the Pacers Sunday night without Joel Embiid in the lineup, who was out because of back tightness, probably because of the fall. But uh, the Lakers move on. They go and play in Boston. And one of the people from NBC Boston had a graphic up. And they showed how many like wins each team had because these the Boston Celtics and the Lakers are the two preeminent teams in the NBA uh, history, history-wise, I should say. Um, both have won 17 titles. They've won over 3,000 games. I think the Lake, or the, the, the Celtics won just a bit more. Lakers have 27 Hall of Famers. The Celtics, 36. And when they talk about the championships, both have 17. But they put an asterisk next to the Lakers, 17. They said five of them came in Minnesota and one came in Disney World. Okay, we got it. Shouts out to you, Boston. We love you. And guess who else we love? Y-O-U, for listening to the podcast where basketball and life are one, The Open Run with Will Strickland, brought to you by the fine folks at Press. We are Press.net. Come back for more right after this. Remember the first time we ever played basketball with each other? I don't actually. I think, because I didn't know who you were. We were playing at the Esplanade. And I was mad. I'm like, why won't she pass the ball? Because <laughs> I have pictures. I have photographic evidence, miss. That's what happened. As a matter of fact, before we get into it too deep, I want to introduce Megan McPeak, who is the play-by-play pioneer, and we'll get into the pioneer part in a second, but she's a play-by-play commentator for the WNBA's Washington Mystics, along with the play-by-play for the G League's uh, Capital City Go-Go, and sideline reporter for the Wizards, Is, is that correct? No, not the Wizards, unfortunately. Haven't uh, okay. haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> Just almost, almost. And you're the manager of content and programming for Monumental Sports Network there in Washington, D.C. So welcome, Megan McPeak, to the podcast. What's up, Megan? Uh, you Let's know, give ourselves a clap. I, for, I Strong forgot. Jays. Strong you, Jays. You, you, Strong you Jays. Enjoy the claps. You enjoy the claps. I'm no doing doubt. I'm doing well, but I got to correct you. It's WNBA champion Washington Mystics. Well, we'll get into that. The 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 twenty the twenty nineteen WNBA champion because you got your ring. You, you have your ring, of course. I do. I do. It's uh, over on my dresser. Perfect. Perfect. So I I am I stand corrected. Appreciate it. 
So we talked about what you do, but who exactly is Megan McPeak? Tell me who you are. Well, uh, for those that don't know, I'm a Canadian native, born and raised in Hamilton, Ontario. Shout out the Hammer. <laughs> um, grew up playing the game and kind of just went from there with, you know, playing all the way through college, got into radio broadcasting and, you know, the rest is history. Kind of just worked my way up, worked my way from, you know, Canadian Pro League to the, excuse me, to the 905 and then doing I'm gonna radio stop you. I'm going to stop you right there. I'm going to stop you. Because I okay. think it's important to, to foundationally for people to understand when you said Canadian Pro League. What did you do with that Canadian Pro League? I was play-by-play voice uh, for then the Brampton A's, which turned into the uh, Orangeville A's um, and have since uh, removed themselves from the from the league. But yeah, I, w- I did the play-by-play for them and was the first and only female in the uh, in the league. Um, so made some Canadian sports history with that and then uh, continued just working my way up and, you know, working my way and getting better at what I was doing and what I wanted to do. And then had the opportunity to audition for the 905 role and then turned around and made history with the 905 as the only female uh, and the first female play-by-play voice in the G League and still am the only female doing uh, play-by-play. And you know, that then eventually led me to Washington, D.C., where I am now. Out here, Columbusing heavy, doing your <laughs> thing. And I think that's really important. You know, it's February and everything. And I talked about this in the first block about how we have to be twice as good to get half as much. And you didn't allow that adage to stand in the way of what you wanted, working at your craft and being the first in everything except being last is one of my things. And I think that it was really important for me to have you on and kind of talk about who you really are and why, what drove you to be the first. I mean, there's a small fraternity. How big is that fraternity in the WNBA again? Let's talk about it one more time. One. And when you, they did a big article on you guys and the um, undefeated, I call you the Canadian three. So Mark Jones from ESPN, Paul Jones from NBA TV. <laughs> He's not even Canadian. It doesn't even anymore. matter. No, he's Canadian. He was born in Canada. He's Canadian. So, <laughs> to, to, to no, no. Canadians, let's keep it funky. Let's keep it a buck. So. Let's keep it a buck. So, Paul Jones, uh, who was at WNB, uh, at the NBA TV Canada, and you there, like they did an article. And what's rare is black play by play guys on basketball in a game that's almost 75, 80% black. But you don't have a lot of black play-by-play men who do it. You definitely don't have lots of women who do play-by-play on basketball, whether it be the NBA or WNBA. Obviously, we talk, just talked about the one. And even more rare, as a mixed race slash black woman, I don't want to call slash, but I mean, and for the sake of conversation, we're talking about a black woman. The rarity that is you uh, in this thing is really important, and I want to make sure that people knew that. So... Well, yeah, it's like when you look at it, um, to your point, the article, you know, my my good friend and brother Mark Spears did that article. So I was I mean, when you look at the the gentleman that I was in the article with, you know, I'm just I was honored just to be included in that um, in that group. And then when you look at, you know, the sports of men's and women's basketball, 
women as play-by-play is it's accepted in the women's game because well you're a woman you're calling women's basketball so you're it's cool we're fine we can accept it um but to have a woman do it in the men's side is unheard of essentially um you know i can essentially count on two hands how many female play-by-plays there are at the men's professional level in sports i'm not talking just basketball I'm right talking sports period right. like it's it's you you can basically count on two hands the ones i know i can count on um i just need my two hands and i'm good i don't need my feet um right. to add in you know extra digits i can just count it on on two hands um which is is disappointing but at the same time um it just means that there's work to be done and and i'm i'm honored and grateful to be part of the work that's being done to change the narrative and change the landscape of the way play-by-play announcers look right now well, that's beautiful, and, and and I think it goes to what I want to ask you about regarding advocacy and the importance of having that platform with the WNBA and uh, being a black woman in this thing. Like, how important is it to have that? I think it's really important. Like, I've been I've been using my platform a lot more in the last um, last few years, especially since being in DC. It's just given me a different outlook on everything, um, and. You know, getting to know some people, um, a lot of the credit I give, you know, I give credit to myself for using my voice on my platform, but at the same time, I also give a good amount of credit to Natasha Cloud um, for encouraging me to use my voice in my platform and, and kind of having Tell my Tell them back. who Natasha Cloud is, please. <laughs> uh, I mean to interrupt, the, but I think it's important. She is the uh, point guard for the Washington Mystics. Uh, she actually opted out of the, the WNBA bubble. Uh, for the 2020 season to focus on uh, racial and social uh, injustices. Uh, so she foregoed mm-hmm. her, her contract um, to focus on everything that we're seeing transpire um, in the world right now, especially in the United States. So just talking with her, having many conversations with her, um, and just realizing that if, if I don't use my platform, then what am I really doing? And, you know, to your earlier point, your earlier question, like, I don't really do this for the history and the notoriety of being the first female or the first black female or the first this or that. I could care less about that. I do it for the fact of making it easier on the next generation to take the same steps I'm taking or to make the steps easier for them to take because if I wanna help change the landscape of the way play-by-play is looked at right now and have more females doing it, then I'm okay with absorbing the bumps, the obstacles, the hills to climb, if that means that the ones coming behind me have an easier job because the ones who came before me have made it easier for me to be where I am today. So I need to pay it forward because it was paid forward to me. And part of that is utilizing my platform, no matter how big or small it is, and utilizing my voice uh, to advocate not only for myself, not only for my fellow black and black men and women um, and people of color and, and, you know, my the the latino and latina sisters and brothers as well too um because they 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 deserve a voice just as much as as we do so absolutely utilizing my platform i would be uh doing a disservice to the next generation and and many many people if i did not take advantage of the platform i've been uh i've been grateful to have no doubt and i think a lot of what we saw especially during this pandemic and the decision to play in the bubble with the WNBA and the players who actually opted in uh, was the messaging. Like, how vital was that messaging of the WNBA players, not only to, to create more visibility on the game, because it's necessary to have the visibility 
unfortunate that the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and the shooting of Jacob Blake and Black Lives Matter and it being such a hot button issue during an election year with and who I like to call in the podcast, Mango Mussolini, who was in office there in D.C. How vital was their messaging and, and their stance across the board? It's, and we'll get into the Atlanta dream a little bit later, but I want to talk about what it was for the women of the WNBA to stand on the platform they had. I mean, they've been doing it for years. They've been at the forefront um, of, of this fight. And, you know, a lot of people... And, and deservedly so, give a lot of the credit to Colin Kaepernick. Mm-hmm. But it was, you know, actually, when you look at it, there was WNBA players who were wearing I Can't Breathe shirts um, and Black Lives Matter shirts before Kaepernick took his first knee. Um, and, and, you know, that's part of the history. That's part of the narrative. That's part of the story. And some people tend to forget that. Um, the Minnesota Lynx were one of the first teams to wear um, the shirts to you know, denounce and and take a stand against police brutality. And it prompted police officers who had their game as their post that day to walk out on their job. And the game went on. Um, So the women of the WNBA have consistently been at the forefront of this conversation. Uh, They have always utilized their platform. They realize no matter what others want to say about how big or how small that platform is in the WNBA, they realize that they have a voice and they have a platform. And I think with everything that has gone on um, with regards to the pandemic, it put a magnifying glass that had not been on the WNBA in years because there was nothing else to watch. There was no NFL. There was no Major League Baseball for a while. There was no hockey going on. Uh, there was literally the WNBA, um, NWSL, which was which is the Women's uh, Soccer League, National Soccer League, and the NBA restart. And then eventually right. MLB got into it. So when you look at the fact that there was eyeballs upon eyeballs on the WNBA this summer, they had the the ultimate moment and a lot of people may have been shocked or surprised at the moments they took and the stands they took but if you followed the league uh for more than just this past year you knew that this was this was nothing short of this is what they do this is what these women have consistently done and what they will continue to do past this moment uh they just took the moment and ran with it and they dedicated this entire season the the bubble season to uh, black women who have been um, killed, murdered, or lost their lives at the hands of, of police violence and police injustices. And they mm. they utilize their voices for that because, you know, as much as we want to talk about Black Lives Matter, um, and I, I consistently say this, you know, black women are the first of the fight, but the last thought of. And when it comes to Black Lives Matter, the black women who have had their lives taken by police uh, injustices their names don't get remembered as much as we hear the male side. Um, and that's that's a disservice mm. to them and their families. So the WNBA made a concerted effort this season to dedicate the entire season, not only to Breonna Taylor, but every single uh, woman who who lost her life, um, which is why you saw Say Her, say her Name across um, the shirts and Without Say Their question. Names as well too, uh, because they knew it was it was not just one, it was many. Well, one name we will not be saying 
is the soon-to-be former co-owner of the Atlanta Dream, who was running for U.S. senatorial seat from the state of Georgia. And she was running in opposition of the good doctor, Reverend Raphael Warnock. And the players who were governed by this person, who shan't be named on the program, made a concerted effort to make sure that she never won election there. And they were very, again, as you said, on the front lines. Tell me what you thought about that and how, how important it was for these women risking their occupations, risking the opportunity to stay with that team, and how important they really were to seeing the quote-unquote right person be elected there in the state of Georgia. Well, first and foremost, they didn't just wake up and say, we're going to pick the black guy as our uh, as our uh, candidate that we're going to support. They did their research. They did their due diligence, as they always do. They looked at all of the candidates that were running because it wasn't just um, the former senator and Raphael Warnock um, and John Ossoff. You know, mm. it, there was it was plentiful. Let's just say that like the Georgia is the one state that you have like a list of names when you're when you go to your ballot as do every state but georgia is one of the bigger ones um so they they really had to figure it out and they really had to do to their due diligence and it wasn't just the dream making the decision it wasn't just one player they did it collectively as a league as a united front as 144 plus because they had the support of players who were not playing due to injury due to health concerns those who opted out for whatever reason mm-hmm. it was 144 plus and they made sure that they were all in in a collective decision in unity and then they moved forward um and once they made the decision on on Raphael warnock that's what they went with and then we saw them take action so they educated themselves made a decision, and then took action. And that's, when you think about protesting, that is what protesting is all about. You have a plan. You educate yourself, you make a decision, and then you take action. And they followed through. And to your point, Will, they they risked Mm. a lot. Um, And it was more than just, obviously, their job. It was their fan base. It was... The league's fan base, because again, when I when I say it was 144 plus, the league could have been affected hugely by this. But the players did not look at that as a detractor. They used this as as motivation, as leverage to use their platform and use their voices. And they stood arm in arm with each other and said, we do not mm-hmm. stand for this. Yes, you may have made these comments towards your players, but your players are our sisters and your players Without are question. our friends and your players look like us and we look like them. So if you come for them, you're coming for no all doubt. of us. And I know the saying is, you know, the, the typical saying is if you if you aim for the king, you must not miss. But they aimed <laughs> that she aimed for the queens and she missed badly I like, I like because the they they bobbed and weaved and and they got they got the ultimate game seven clutch. No because they pushed him over the edge. And it wasn't just the WNBA players. It wasn't just the Atlanta Dream. Stacey Abrams as well, too, um, was in behind that. And what the folks in Georgia did, because you have to credit the Georgians, because they came ready on voting day. As soon as they were ready to vote and able to vote, 
they utilized their amendment and their civil liberties to exercise their right to vote. And they made a stand and a statement at the polls and said, no, 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 we do not stand for this. We stand with the athletes and we want you out. And the message was sent. Well, hopefully you don't opt out because we want you to come back for another block with us to talk more with Megan McPeak on The Open Run with Will Strickland. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to The Open Run with Will Strickland. Here with my special guest, Megan McPeak. Play-by-play boss for the WNBA's Washington Mystics. Play-by-play boss for the Capital City Go-Go. And manager of content and programming for Monumental Sports Network in Washington, D.C. Having a great conversation with Megan. Let's talk a little WNBA free agency. Right. Lots going on. Before we get into that, I want to send a shout out. And I know last week, a lot of people were remembering the late, great Kobe Bryant, his daughter, Gigi, who passed in that tragic helicopter accident. And the Yukon Lady Huskies, where she wanted to play when she grew up, they actually wore warm up shirts just recently in the game. They had a message on the shirts uh, about a 2017 loss in the final four that they took. And Gigi wrote a letter to them and the team uh, after that loss. They basically said, when you think you can't, you con, right? Which was sweet. They, so they wore those shirts in honor of her. And I thought that was kind of fly. And wanted to send a shout out to them uh, for that. And also shout out Asia Durr from the New York Liberty, uh, who's really suffered during this pandemic. Uh, she had COVID. She has COVID. Unable to work out. Lost 32 pounds. Doesn't really know if she will be able to play this upcoming season at all because she can't like one day she says she feels good and other days not so good. So, you know, she's definitely in our thoughts and prayers. WNBA free agency just started yesterday. I want to get your thoughts on like moves like first and foremost, before we get to the 2019 world champion Washington Mystics and what they've done, their outlook for the new season. Um, Talk about some of the big moves. Um, outside uh, of the team, uh, including Candace Parker going home to Chicago. I think that was probably the biggest one. I don't think uh, anybody anybody expected that um, or saw that really coming because she was, you know, tenured in in LA. She was drafted there. She built not only a name for herself, family, friends, is ingrained in that city ingrained in the organization not just the sparks but as well to the lakers um and it was just i mean i i understood the move because why not go home uh she Mm. now gets to play in front of her her father but that was probably the biggest one um nobody was really surprised i think the phoenix Mercury and the entire state of Arizona took a, a collective breath when Diana Taurasi announced that she would be re-signing with the Mercury. No doubt. Um, another big one, uh, you know, you look at Natalie Tonwa, shout out to Canada, uh, leaving the Indiana mm-hmm. Fever, who also drafted her. Um, 
Minnesota Lynx picking up some bodies. Like, so much Oh, they're movement. getting ready. They, they're tooling up. They're getting ready. Cheryl Reeves, man, never count her out. Um, and then, like, you look at Cheyenne Parker, who left Chicago, is headed to Atlanta. Benajah Laney, who was the sixth woman of, of the year last year, is leaving Atlanta, going to New York Liberty, if I'm not mistaken. Like, so much movement. Mm. Um and it's it's such a crazy time, and you know, obviously the Mystics making uh, some moves because of openings and closings. But um, to your earlier point, obviously we gotta you know give our love to to Vanessa Bryant and Natalia and uh, Bianca and Capri. We know the tragedy there, and of course, as you mentioned, Asia Durr, who you know, to your point, it's not just this season she's concerned about. She doesn't know if she'll ever be able to play again mm. like, ever. Um, because right. she's told that that her experience with COVID is is taking on her body. Um, you know, I was watching the interview and to hear her say a good day right now is being able to go to the store. Like that is, that's insane. Um, the exactly. things that we take like for granted. To the store. You, you, you think know? nothing of it and that's a good mm. day for her. Um, so I, I wish her well. Uh, I want to see her back on the floor. To think of, like, when she said she's lost 32 pounds, I'm like, where? Because she wasn't, like, a, a, a stick figure, but she wasn't heavy. Right. Like, she wasn't thick or big. Like, she was always athletic, very muscular. But I'm like, where where's the 32 pounds? <laughs> like, where did it come from? Yeah, and just think about, like, the, the, the mental health issue yeah. that can arise as a result of seeing yourself basically wasting away um, and not being able to do anything about that. So again, best of luck to her and hopefully she's just well enough to be well. Forget about basketball for right now. Just being well. And and if you'll indulge me for a second, you brought up Nalia Chumwa, Canada Strong. Back when I was doing a podcast uh, or actually a, a radio show on, you know, TSN 1050 in Canada called One on One with Will and Dwayne, which you co-hosted before in the past we had natalie on one day and we were talking this is when she was at notre dame and playing with one of my favorite players skylar dickens skylar dickens and we were we actually tried to schedule Dwayne and i playing natalie and skylar two on two and we're going to record in the whole nine i mean it sounds good it sounds good you know i mean Dwayne's the weak link. Y'all would have got you know, destroyed. Dwayne's the weak link. And I'm, I'm going to throw my man under the bus. But it would have been fun to play, be recorded. And I think it would have been great for people to see that. That, you know, a lot of people take for granted the strength and the ability uh, of, of the players in the WNBA. And I've watched the Canadian national team play against guys. And these guys who took them for granted got cooked on a regular basis. I'm like, they play basketball. Stop looking at their gender. Look at the fact that they can hoop. And they knock you out <laughs> when you play. So... I just that was a memory that sparked when you said uh, Natalie Choma. But tell me more about what's going on with the Mystics. They have a couple of free agents, uh, UFAs that on the roster, and, they, and they are key to a couple. Mm. <laughs> they have a they have a few. They have a few. Um, so uh, one of them was Ariel Powers, who has decided she was going. Mm-hmm. She's one of the many who have decided she's going to take her talents to Minnesota. Um, so that was that's a void uh, that they not only lose no the doubt. scoring punch in her athleticism. She's just she's a dog. She, Detroit she's a stand, Detroit, Detroit stand up. So you know the mindset right there when when you hear you know Detroit kid. Um, you know, so she obviously went to MSU. 
Um, so she she just brought this mentality, um, this spark that you know when you need when you need that that oomph on the court, you could look you could look for AP and she was gonna get it. Whether it was an and one opportunity, a block, a steal, some something. She just she brought mm-hmm. that mentality. So that was that was a void. But right. that void didn't last long. It it lasted a couple hours, um, and then the reports came out that they were going to sign uh, Alicia Clark. Yeah, been in the league for I believe nine years. This would be her tenth season, if I'm not mistaken. Has won mm-hmm. a handful of championships. No big deal, Super. right? <laughs> uh, no big deal. Uh, one of one of the best Easily. Easily. defenders in the game. Period. Not just not just a women's game in the game period. She's one of the best defenders I've ever seen, and it's not because she's got you know five six steals a game, right. a few blocks, none of that. It's the intangibles, the little things that she does on the defensive end. She's, I mean, as you know, and as any hooper will know, you're not going to hold a player scoreless, but if you can hold them mm. under the percentage they normally shoot on other people, if you can make them take tough shots. If you can make them go for 30 right. points, but they had to take 30 shots to get that, she did her job. And that's the type of defender she is. And they were able to bring her in. They definitely made the job for Brianna Stewart and, and, and Sue Bird much easier because of what she did and her her dedication to her craft on that end. And I think one of the most important free agents you guys uh, are looking to re-sign and, and bring back into the fold is the 2019 Most Valuable Player of the Finals, uh, Emma Miesemann. Um, so tell me more about her. Yeah, so Emma, um, Belgian Belgian native, there's a lot of moving parts uh, with her free agency because of world championships, qualifying, all that jazz. And, you know, she's a, she's a, she's a huge piece for the Belgian national team. So there's a lot of moving parts when it comes to her, her free agency. Um, so Coach Tebow, Mike Tebow, who's coach and general manager, he's got to figure that out. Um, she's uh, She's got some things going on. Not really okay. sure what, so I can't speak to that. But he, they're giving her the space needed for her to make uh, decisions that benefit her best. Um, so they're they're working that out and figuring it out. And, you know, we'll find out what the decision comes to be. The Mystics, you know, crazy thing is, is they have a, they have a lot of free agencies, a lot of free agents, excuse me, essentially seven. If you include the fact that two had opted out, so their contract wasn't on the books technically. Um, So Natasha Cloud, Latoya Sanders, uh, Tiana Hawkins, Emma Miesemann, Tina Charles, Mm. Uh, Ariel Powers. Those were the those were the free agents that that they've had to focus on. We obviously know what happened with Ariel Powers, um, so she's gone. Uh, so we're waiting to find out about Emma Meesem and Tina Charles mm-hmm. is a big one um, as well too that we're waiting to find out on. She had opted out last season, so we haven't actually gotten to see her in a Mystics uniform. Um, and then Natasha Cloud and Latoya Sanders were huge huge factors in that 2019 uh, championship season, as as well as Tiana Hawkins. She was really big in the bubble with the plethora of people who decided to opt out for whatever reason um and not a free agent but you get her back mm. as a landed deladon so a lot of uh, a lot of moving parts for the mystics um hopefully we'll hear in the coming days you know as this week goes on and as free agency goes on but um i imagine and i i have no doubt that mike tebow will will get things done um and will make the best moves not only for the mystics but we'll also respect whatever the players want to do as That's well, good. too. Um, 
So, you know, it's at this point it's just a waiting game, but if they can if they can get all of them back, um, with the exception, as I mentioned, of Ariel Powers, but you've you've slotted in Alicia Clark. It's gonna be a dog man, fight in the WNBA. That, I mean, like 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 Candace, I mean, will like like Candace making the move to Chicago that puts them in con- that that makes them a contender for the championship. Now you have, if you if you're Mike Tebow, you can make it work that you get everyone that's a free agent right now back. All five that are left, I believe, you get them all back. Six, sorry. You now have Tina Charles, Latoya Sanders, Tiana Hawkins, Emma Mieseman, Natasha Cloud. Elena Deladon. That's a six rotation right, right there. Alicia You're heavy. Clark. You're heavy. Maisha Hines Allen, who had a standout season last year in the bubble and put the entire league on notice. Like, don't don't forget about mm. me. Um, like it puts them right back in the conversation of let's 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 run this back again. Like what You're we looking do? forward to it? Um Oh man, I can't wait. <laughs> I'm, like not even just the mystic season. I can't wait for the WNBA season because, as you mentioned, it's gonna be a dogfight. You have um, Chelsea Gray, who is the point god, <laughs> going to the Las Vegas Aces to team up with the return of Kelsey Plum off the Achilles injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're waiting to see what Liz Cambage does. Asia Wilson is out no there. No doubt. Like. Yo, this is going to be a season. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. And I definitely appreciate you taking the time to come out and speak to us. But before we let you go, I want to ask you a question. It doesn't have to be male or female or however you gender identify. But uh, I want you to tell me what player you'd like to go against one-on-one who you think you can rock with past, present, I wouldn't say future. But you know some young players coming up. You're like, I can cook her right now. Maybe I can do that. But who would it be? And why? Ooh, you know what? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with what I know and who I know, and make it a nostalgic pick, because I watched this kid grow up and turn into a professional. And I'm just, I'm just gonna say, I would, I would love to have played against or with Kia Nurse. I played really? with her sister. Mm. I played with her sister, and and you know, loved playing with her sister, and she's better than her sister. So. If I could have played against or with, that would have been fun. That would have been fun. So who's winning? I mean, me. I'm not going to not pick myself. Well, how are you going to tell me? Dwayne and I are going to <laughs> Wait, hold on, hold on, hold up. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You know what, though? We were winning because we had you on the podcast today. I want to thank you for your time and attention, young lady, and appreciate you. Continued success. Kia's going to roast me when, when she finds out I said this. Yes, she is. I'm <laughs> going to call love, her that. I'm calling Richard right now. Yo, you hurt. My snitch jacket is on quite heavy. Matter of fact, tell people where they can find you if they have something to say to you about that. <laughs> on Twitter, at Megan McPeak. On Instagram, same thing, but a dot in between. So, at Megan.McPeak. Man, I, lo- I love the nurse family. It's all love. It's all love, though. They they know I'm mm. playing around. <laughs> mm, I don't know. Richard, they got you Richard's on your teleprompter. Put, Richard's going to put me I'm on the I'm watching your words. <laughs> <laughs> you see what I'm saying? But I appreciate you, Megan, and we will talk soon, no doubt. Thank you.
100% enjoy my conversation with Megan McPeak. Sad we didn't get to speak about the Washington Wizards who had a big win over the apparent parents in the East, the Brooklyn Nets, by scoring 149 points in regulation. 149 points, the worst team in the league. Didn't get to talk about Full Court 21 Canada and our women's division that we want to strengthen. We want to make sure they're as strong as our men's division. You know, the three-time world champions, three-time, 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 three-peat champions, 2017, 2018, 2019. Of course, the pandemic in 2020, but our women's division is not as strong. We want to make sure that women have a safe space to play and understand that this being the world's most unique basketball tournament, there's a place there for them. So want to talk to her about that, but, and moving on, I want to speak about someone who moved on. Coach John Chaney from Temple University passed away last week. I think he was like 89 years old. Coach was the toughest, one of the toughest guys I had ever spoken to on the phone when I was being recruited to play basketball. Temple was one of the places because I knew he was a strong black man who would give me some guidance as I was approaching adulthood away from my parents on my own for the first time really those 5 a.m practices didn't sit well with me but he had some great players who came out of there you, you think about guys like eddie jones who had a great career multiple time all-star uh started in front of kobe when he was in la played well in miami you know aaron mckee six man of the year with philadelphia now he's the head coach there at temple so rest well old lion you will definitely be missed. 741 wins, multiple Sweet 16 appearances, Elite 8 appearances with Temple, you know, multiple A-10, Atlantic 10 conference titles. Just one of the best coaches to ever do it. But one of my favorite moments ever was when he went after John Calipari in a press conference one time. So I'll kick your ass. I don't even remember what the, the fight was, the beef was about, but... You know, John Calipari has one of those Christian Leitner want to punch you in the face. I guess I should use a, a, a more recent reference. Grayson Allen, former Duke. I think any guy, any, most guys who went to Duke that you didn't like, those are the guys you want to punch in the face. And I guess coach wanted to punch John Calipari in the face as well. But Russell old line. As I'm talking about college basketball, March Madness just around the corner. I want to profile a young man who I saw just recently a story on the five foot two inch. I said five foot two inch Darnell Rogers from University of Maryland, Baltimore County, or is it as they say in Baltimore, Baltimore County? One word. Um, averaging 11, two and two at five foot two for a division one team. They just lost this past weekend, but I'm looking forward to seeing him. In the in March Madness, because I know he will be a fan favorite. I know I like to see a guy like that. And and I think people look at a guy that small and feel like they can compete against him. I mean, he's competing against some of the top athletes in the country and he's doing well. So you want to take your chances. I don't know. Megan Peek was talking crazy a second ago, talking about who she would cook. Little man would cook you too. So um seeking out somebody who could cook you. Jalen Green. One of the top high school, he was a top rated high school player in the country last year. He eschewed college, did not go to university, did not go overseas. 
chose to play in the G League in their development program for elite high school basketball players um, called the G League Ignite Team. So they don't play with the other G League teams. They play exhibitions against them. And they are on a team with veteran guys like Amir Johnson and, and, and Reggie Hearn, guys who played in the NBA. Jared Jack is on that team. He's almost 40, I think. You know, getting these guys ready for the world as an NBA player, as a, as a young adult, making $600,000, it could be a game changer for everything NCAA. Now, every guy in the NCAA will not be, or will not qualify to play on this elite squad. You know, only the top guys will be able to go there. And Jalen Green's one of those guys. I expect to see him doing things on the NBA court in the next year or so for sure. Um, and I'm looking forward to learning more about G League Ignite and that program because they give full scholarships to these young people, financial literacy courses. You know, Arizona State is, is the, the partner of the G League in that endeavor. So I think it's a good thing for these young guys to get them ready to be adults. And he, you know, even Green said that uh, he'd never thought how hard it would be to do what he's doing, but he lo- loves his journey. And I'm looking forward to seeing if he can do work in the association. Speaking of doing work in the association, we are at the quarter mark of the season and there are some awards to be doled out, no doubt. We have a small sample size of how guys are doing, but I think we can pretty much tell what's going on in the association. As the Sixers are at the top of the East at 15 and 6, the Clippers right there. The Clippers, yes, I said the Clippers. Tyron Luke got him doing things, big things. 16 and 5 at the top of the West. So our power 10 at the quarter mark, the Clippers. I mean, best three-point shooting team in the league. They've won the last 10 out of 11, including a couple of games that uh, Kawhi and Paul George missed as a result of COVID um, protocols. And getting that bench ready, getting more balanced scoring from guys you didn't think would make it happen. Reggie Jackson getting some time now. They're 16-5 and five for a reason. So Tyron Lue leading those guys and making them a real threat in the West. You look at number two, I had Utah. Now, even though they had their 11-game winning or losing strike broken by the Denver Nuggets, when Nikola Jokic, an MVP candidate, dropped 47 on everything moving, including Rona Rudy Gobert. Didn't matter who was in front of him. He was cooking. Uh, So I got Utah at two. Philadelphia at three. The Lakers had a precipitous slide on my power 10 this week. Despite going five and two on their seven game, two week road trip and losing back to back games for the first time on the road all season. There at four, we have the Brooklyn Nets at five, Milwaukee at six, Boston at seven, the Jokers, Denver Nuggets at eight, Indiana, the Pacers at nine and closing out with a fast rising team, a league pass must watch squad the memphis grizzlies at 10 i got my list do you have yours well we're gonna move on to the quarter mark awards right now the mvp could be Jokic, could be joel Embiid. but if you listen to this podcast long enough you already know who i chose he who shan't be named in la yeah that's what i picked um defensive player of the year right now whether it's Rona Rudy Gobert or Miles Turner, I'm going to go with Miles Turner right now. I'm going to give him some love. I mean, it's easy bake to say 
Rudy Gobert, but he is playing at a really high clip, helping his team win. Miles Turner is leading the league in block shots. He's getting like almost four games. That hasn't been seen in quite a while in the association. Most improved, it's a it's bunched up. It's bunched up. I talked about Colin Sexton earlier on in the program. Christian Wood down there in Houston doing his thing. Julius Randle in New York doing work. I like Jalen Brown. I don't know if he's the real star on that team. He might be, but he's definitely one of the most improved in the league. Moving on to sixth man of the year. I don't think it's a contest right now. It's in Utah. The Jacker. Jordan Clarkson putting up real math on a winning team. Who knew who'd have thunk it? But right now, Jordan Clarkson is that guy. If you like Patty Mills down there in San Antonio, I'm not mad at you. Coach of the year. Quinn Snyder, you saw the strike, the losing strike they went on. He's got those guys playing well, lots of contributions off the bench. I, I, even when during protocol, the, the I guess the COVID protocol or concussion protocol that Donovan Mitchell was going through, they were still winning. And shouts out to Donovan before I move on for winning the NBA Community Cares Award for his social activism uh, activism. Uh, doing lots there in the community, but shouts out to him. And I would say that if it's Quinn, if it's not Quinn Steiner, there's JB Bickerstaff, Steven Silas. Look, that team in Houston is six and three AB. That's after Beard, if you didn't know already. They're real. Their defense, number one in the league. Can't front on them. They just had a new lease on life, like Andrew Dufresne from Shawshank Redemption. So. Do your thing down there in Houston. Taylor Jenkins, of course, my guy. I picked him as my coach of the year in the preseason um, in Memphis. And last but not least, the rookie of the year is between the young man who just started his first game after 20 games in the NBA. I guess LeVar got to Michael Jordan. I don't know. My preseason pick for rookie of the year, LaMelo Ball, followed closely by the Kings, Tyrese Halliburton. Also, be on the lookout for rookie Emmanuel Quickly from the New York Knicks. Quickly, a great name for a guard in the NBA. Um, he's giving you 11, 2, and 3 off the bench, giving you all that smoke. As a matter of fact, he scored 31 points last week versus the Blazers, has scored 25 or more in three of his last four, and admires Lou Williams because he can put up those points. So watch out for him as well. And before I get out of here, I want to send a shout out to two people I really like. Happy 72nd birthday to one of the greatest coaches ever, Greg Popovich, who's still doing his thing strong down there in San Antonio. And a former player of mine by the name of Dion Horford at George Brown College in Toronto. He's the real MVP, by the way. Not Kevin Durant. No, I'm, let me stop playing. Listen, um, we had this. IG exchange not too long ago because his commentary on basketball, on soccer, on cooking, whatever, is hilarious to me. He's a great follow on IG. And I happened to read something he wrote and he was saying about he who shan't be named. And it reminded me of who he was when he was at George Brown. The year before I showed up there as an assistant coach, he led the conference in scoring, you know, pretty good rebounds, pretty good assists, but it wasn't great and they were losing. In our first meeting, I had player player meetings with each one of the guys. 
I told Dion that he was not going to be the leading scorer on the team this new year, but he'd be a well-rounded basketball player and he was would be our best leader without question. I could tell he got a little tight as a result. He didn't say anything, never showed it, just got up, did the work. And he said something to me that struck me and I want to share that with you. So I'll share what he said, right? The knowledge I got was life-changing. I remember the conversation we had and it was the best ever. I still tell that story to the youth. You said, I need you to be a better passer, better leader and give up a little for the sake of the squad. You also said we had to cut my minutes from 37 to 33 so I could be fresh at the end of games. I remember being so upset, low key. But at the end of the year, I won every single damn award, including all Canadian. It was all because of you. You were right. You turned me into a person who just played basketball to a basketball player. And I owe you a lot. You changed my life. I just remember telling the homies in the middle of the season, and this man was right. I was fresher and everything seems clear. I was just surprised that I had better all-around stats with less minutes. You were the first to understand managing minutes before it became popular. That's a fact. You taught me valuable lessons, and this is why I give back to young ballers for the past 20 years. The message that I got from you is when you learn, you teach. Dion's words were wild humbling. I damn near cried. But they were not really a reflection of me. They were a reflection of a man who fully understood. You don't lose W's when you help someone else, especially someone you care about. Catch those W's too. He was given flowers from Seeds Planet 20 years ago. Perhaps that is the natural order of things. So until next week, make sure you keep doing what's popular with the population by not getting beat off the dribble. You've been listening to The Open Run with Will Strickland. Rich kid, you know how we do. Easy. <laughs>